Welcome in everyone to episode 125 of the Bat Flip Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David, and this week we become the commissioner of baseball for one day and make a few changes to the game. But before we get into that, David, how are you doing this week? I'm doing better now. Dansby Swanson just hit a home run, but uh, you know it's been a it's been a good week. Um, not not for my baseball team; they've been playing like crap. But uh, you know, overall, yeah, good week. Getting into working out again, so that's that's kind of nice. I've been having fun with that with uh, with my girlfriend, and it's it's been good. So, uh, Matt, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, had a pretty good week watching some watching some baseball and uh, hanging out, and watching other sports as well. So uh, it's been a it's been a really good uh, really good week. Uh, pretty busy. So uh, how how's it going, Damien? Uh, it's doing all right. Finally, have uh, some not hot or cold weather here, so I've been enjoying the 60s and 70s in California for the two weeks that we're going to get it uh, for a little bit. So did some yard work, did some uh, some work on my dad's shop, and uh, watched my Dodgers beat the Padres after they decided to put a crying Clayton Kershaw on the video board <laughs> after the first game. That was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty dumb. But uh, overall, it was a good week. Uh, and I'm excited to uh, to see what changes we bring to the game as we kick Rob Manfrod out of the commissioner seat and become commissioners uh, for a day. So we each got three changes we're going to make. Two of them are going to be kind of straightforward, realistic changes that we think should be made. And then our last one will kind of be a little bit wacky out there, just a change that we think would be fun to see and uh, maybe start some conversation on, but uh, we'll go ahead and start with David. What was your first rule change as commissioner? Yeah. So my first rule change is going to be to adjust an existing recent rule change, um, which is I'm taking the runner on second in extra innings rule and I'm moving that sucker to the 12th inning. I think it's not a bad rule for what it's supposed to do, which is to end the game quicker, right? It's supposed to prevent 18 inning marathons where your bullpen just ends up being totally run down and player injuries go up as a rule for that. I agree with it. I think it's, it's got a place, but having watched, I think it was like a 14 inning game this week, the extra inning runner was literal it, it was the entire like everything revolved around that and it really ruined the flow of the game where you know uh, some teams can kind of make the contact and make the bunts and you know you can focus your entire inning around just scoring the extra runner and then hoping that you can prevent the other runner from scoring and it really changes the way the game is being played especially when you're still you know competing for wins and I, I, w- I want to see a more cohesive understanding of the, you know, the extra inning rule. So I'm push- pushing it past the 12th, right? Let's give us three extra innings to decide this thing. If you can't decide it in those extra three innings, then we'll start putting the runner out there. It, I, not a whole lot of games have gone past the 12th inning anyway. So I don't imagine that this is going to lengthen games any more than it already does. And it just gives it, you know, the, an opportunity for for games to have a more natural feel to their endings. So, um, I don't know. I, I've I've seen some people coming around on this rule, and I think it's it's got a place in terms of preventing those eighteen inning games. But I just want I want a few more extra innings of regular baseball before we get there, especially because you know we, we're already shortening the amount of time the game takes. So let's let's allow for some some baseball to breathe here in those extra innings before we start cramming a runner onto second base. So, uh, Matt, what's, uh, what's your rule there? Uh, yeah, I was just going to add to it that, that runner on second, I love your idea there. And it, it just, the yeah, fact really that it, idea. yeah, the mm-hmm. fact that it just randomly, it takes less randomness now. Like there, you need, you need less randomness in it, especially like, like you mentioned when you're, you know, teams in pennant races late, in, late in the season, like it would be a shame if it got decided on a pitcher coming in and not giving up a, a hit, not even giving up a base runner and losing the game and you lose the game because of the weird wonky rules. So uh, I'm a hundred percent behind that. I, I, I agree. But uh, my, my one, my rule change, my first one is, is a strike zone challenge system where, you know, we have the challenge system when you got to run our own first, second, third, you know, tag outs, whatever. But, you know, I'd like to see us. I know that there's been a lot of talk about robo ups, and I and one way I like the idea because it you know it kind of it, it makes the game a little bit more uh, it takes a little bit of less you know just complete boneheaded error by the umpire out of the game 
But at the same time, like it takes a lot of pitcher skill or catcher skill away. It takes away a little bit of human element. It feels a little less natural, you know, the game does if you if you do that. But what the strike zone challenge could do is you could make it where like basically the you know, you could call for a challenge kind of like, you know, I don't know if anybody's watched tennis very much where they have like the, you know, you have the uh, little challenge system where you basically just raise your hand up and the ball, if, you know, they have like the track man or whatever that shows if the ball hit on the line or not. Like they could do the same thing like immediately with, um, you know, with a pitch in the strike zone to where, you know, if there's a call in a biggest part of the game or there's some egregious call or something, you could challenge it and maybe you get like three a game or something. And you could challenge it, and then if it's not a strike and they called it a ball, if it's a strike and they called it a ball, then you can, you know, obviously get that overturned or, or vice versa. So it kind of takes away a little bit of the like egregious calls or the huge game defining calls out of the game while still keeping the natural feel of the strike zone. And uh, I think I kind of like the idea of it. So. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good idea too. I mean, we've seen the, I believe it's one of the minor leagues are yep. testing it out as I think, well. I think so. Triple um, A. And I think it's, is it Triple A? Yep. Uh, I know they're half season, they were going to go with like a an ABS automated ball strike system, and then they were going to go half season with the, the strike zone challenge. So uh, I really love that idea. I think it's, especially with the, uh, it's a much better alternative rather than having the fully automated strike zone. I think that having the umpires still there, I like that much better than any little one that nicks the zone is always a strike or, cause I feel like a lot of batters won't like that. And I feel like a lot of pitchers probably won't like it either. Cause they're not getting that little bit off the edge and it doesn't allow for the adjustments from the pitch or from the hitters throughout the game. And I, I really do like the, the strike zone challenge idea. I think it's, if if we do see anything close to like an automated strike zone or a, a rule change coming with the strike zone, I see that's the most easiest rule we would probably get. It's genuinely perfect because it functions in the same way as like a football challenge, right? Where, yeah. you know, not every single one of those kind of ticky tack plays is something that you challenge, but even the, you know, the challenges at the big league level, right? You, you just challenge those very influential pitches and then you lose it if you miss your challenge, right? So it's like, it's the it's the perfect thing to kind of you know allow for the batter to also have some control in that sense as well they'll be the one to call it and and if the batter doesn't call it then it doesn't matter right but if they disagree that's where it comes from it's not the like the manager it's not the dugout it's the batter well and i think it'd be really interesting too to see if like if a team gets 3 challenges per game and then how do your batters use them cuz obviously they're going to have to be the one to call it you can't just have like the manager say use a challenge here or whatever. So they're going to have to be pick and choose when batters use them. I'm using it yeah. in th- like a three ball count to get a walk. If let's say, you know, it's, it's well yeah. outside and, and they um calls it a strike, gives them like a, me like a three Oh strike. I use a challenge there to get, to get on base. Right. And then yeah. late in the game, you know, two strikes, you, you take one outside, they call it strike three. That's the pitch that gets challenged too. I think Th- right. those will be the most yeah. common places it's used. Will be. It's going to be pick and choose though. If you have a guy, you can't use like, if you have a three ball count and, the first inning or fifth inning, you know, you don't want to use them all yeah. three by the time. Speaking of, speaking of this, this, the strike zone, did y'all see the umpire yesterday? Uh, Jimenez, I think is his name. He's a new one. And he had like 80% on his, on his yeah. strike card, yeah. his card. I was like, man, it feels like umpires have gotten better in the last couple of years, but with, with all the, you know, people being accountable from that, but like, man, that was, that was rough. <laughs> yeah. It was not good at all. Uh, but for uh, for my first rule change, I went with probably the easiest one here. I went with the layup, but it's to end the blackout restrictions that we have on the baseball games. It is utterly stupid that a person living in you know Southern California couldn't just buy MLB TV or um, you know get a like weekday ESPN game because the local channel has it, and if they don't have cable or something like you should be able to buy an MLBT subscription and get every single game. And that's on top of all of these games. Now that we're having on Peacock on Sunday mornings or Apple TV on Friday nights, or I guess the YouTube ones really don't have anything, but when they have live YouTube games, like you should just be able to click onto a subscription. If you have like MLB TV and watch every single game, no matter where you're at for all, for every team. Like, and I, I don't even care with like, oh, well, TV needs their revenue from it. Well, you're still watching the TV's broadcast. Like, I don't care if MLB is going to give me the commercials for that TV's broadcast. Like, 
just give me the full spectrum feed for the Dodger game. I'll watch all the commercials from the thing or let them be on there. But like, I don't care if you give me like your mattress thing they do. Like it's, it's stupid. Just you're still watching the feed. If you have an MLB TV subscription, you're watching the Apple TV game. I shouldn't have to pay the Apple plus membership like for every month just to watch the one game that my team's going to be on this year or two games. When I already have the MLB TV, TV subscription, just let me watch the Apple TV game on the MLB app. Like it's not that hard. I don't understand why everything is is so held up by it. Just give us the full broadcast TV network. Still get their their uh you know their money's worth from it. You're still watching their ads. Give them all the info from that. How many people tuned in on your app? Because I'm sure they track it. It's just like why are we still in 2023? And if I live in you know Southern California. I have to use a VPN if I want to watch the Dodger game while I'm away from home. It's it's stupid. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And uh, just kind of the biggest part that I had an issue with is the Peacock and um, and uh, Apple TV games because I mean your team's gonna be on there maybe once a year, maybe maybe twice a year, and you're gonna ask people to pay ten dollars a month for a year subscription if that's the only th- only reason for them to get that app or that streaming service and i mean you're, it's like it's really really dumb and i know you can you know do it and then cancel your subscription but like at, you know after the free trial but you know i like the idea of just ending blackouts in general but i i just i mean i, I just it frustrates me that that, that peacock and and Apple TV stuff is out there. Like, it's just dumb. It's bad marketing for baseball, too. Like, why are we putting our product behind a paywall? Like, you know, put it on a local, put, you know, let ESPN broadcast more games or something, too. Like, grow the game. I mean, just this, it's crazy. It's clear what the path forward is because you see it with other sports. You see other sports putting themselves out there, allowing more access to their content, allowing, you know, providing TV shows where you're, you know, their, their athletes get exclusive interviews. You see that with golf, with formula one, with, you know, a bunch of the racing sports like NFL, it's very, you know, hard knocks, right? You've got accessibility to their players. You've got a lot of, uh, ex, you know, very clear and easy ways to watch all of these games. And then when it comes to baseball, if you don't live in the area, it's near impossible to watch your team unless you pay, big prices for MLB.TV or like Damien said, you use a VPN and try to just find a way. Why is baseball hiding from their, their audiences, right? Like that's the biggest problem is you have this streaming service in MLB.TV. It, if I want to pay a hundred dollars a year or whatever to watch my team, I should be able to pay to ex- access my team every game, right? My dad lives in Georgia. He's a Cubs fan, right? He can't get Cubs games, in Georgia. And it's, it's, it's just a a frustrating juxtaposition of, well, we need to, you know, make money to grow the game. So we have to keep all our our guys hidden behind these RSNs and stuff. But then we don't actually grow the game because no one can watch. So yeah, I'm with you on that one, Damien. We got to get rid of those blackouts. Yeah. Uh, So David, what is your second um, rule change? Well, Last year, as we recall, the the baseball was pretty clearly different when Aaron Judge was taking those plate appearances late in the season. Uh, it was measured out as being uh, a bouncier, springier ball. We have the the juiced ball season a few years ago in 2021. Last year, the ball was more deadened, and then currently in Double A, the ball is being pre-tacked, uh, and spin rates are up. Um, and strikeout rates are way up across the league, and then walks are way up. The hit batters are up uh, because pitchers are spinning the ball a lot more, got a lot more movement, and it's kind of out of control right now. My solution as the uh, new commissioner for baseball for the day is uh, to use one baseball. We're, we're just going to have the one. Everybody's going to know what it is. They're going to know exactly what goes into it. We're going to keep the specifications near exact. The we're going to do everything in our power to not be changing the baseball from year to year. We're going to identify one. It might be the juiced one. It might be the tacked one. I don't care. We're going to come together, find exactly which ball everybody wants to use. And we're going to use that ball all the time. Same batter, every batter, every pitcher, everything. One ball, not mystery balls. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, you know, I, I thought last year's ball was great. 
I, I thought it was fine. I, did, I don't like the juice ball where everything's a cheap home run, and I don't like that tacked ball stuff that everyone's talking about in double A. I think that's dumb. I think they need to just use the ball they had last year. And I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand why, why we have to change it all the time. And, and, you know, I think it's kind of dumb. So I'm with you, David. Exactly. And even if it's not right, if last year, the problem was the ball was good sometimes. And then sometimes it was also juiced. We, we just, we have to have the same ball, man. It's, it's just ruining, like, like, are we believing judges like record is tarnished because he was getting better balls? Like, I certainly hope not. And I don't want to believe that. So I want the same ball. I don't want to have to deal with that. Yeah. So Matt, what is your next rule change? Yeah, I think mine's the, my next one's one that's for sure coming, um, and that's 32-team expansion. There's actually been some talk about this lately. Uh, you know, with the A's moving to Las Vegas, um, you know, that's one of the two teams that need new stadiums that are kind of uh, getting – or the A's p- possibly moving to Las Vegas. There sounds like there's still some, like, weird stuff going on there. But um, the uh, – you know, it, it, there's really only one team left that needs a new stadium. And that would be the Tampa Bay Rays. And that's kind of been the, the threshold to clear for them to kind of look at expansion again is for those two teams to kind of get their situation handled so we know if they're moving to another city or not and what markets are going to be available for that expansion. And there's been some talk about, um, you know, about some different places. I know there's been some talk lately about uh, Utah, like Salt Lake City. There's been talk, of course, about Nashville, Portland. Uh, I guess there's still been some form of talk about Montreal, even though I don't really think that's going to happen. Um, it, it, you know, another Texas team like San Antonio or something would be interesting. Um, but there's a, I, I just, I definitely think 32 teams are coming, and, and I'd like a couple things about that. In that, I think the it helps the playoffs with the expanded playoffs to to have it go to 32 teams. Uh, you know, it kind of makes that ratio of team percentage of teams that make the playoffs better. Uh, I like adding the extra, you know, the extra jobs. There's so many good players that are playing in AAA right now that can't find a spot at the big league level that adding those two teams will help some of those guys find their spots. And uh, I don't know. I just like, I like expanding the game to new markets. I think it'll be really cool, um, you know, to see a team, a, a team in a place like a, that's never had one before a place like Portland or, you know, uh, I mean, I, I would love to see a team in, you know, in Utah, except for the elevation. I don't, I don't especially want another Coors situation, but um, I think it's definitely interesting to look at. Um, I think it's definitely coming soon, and I'd be very interested in in how they would do the expansion draft and stuff too. I think that would be a kind of a cool thing to look at when once the, once they do this expansion as to like how that how that team building aspect is going to work out. I think that'd be pretty neat. So exciting. Yeah, it would be really exciting. And then another thing that it would bring on, uh, you know, during the expansion would be realignment of divisions and leagues. Um, you know, you'd probably have to see them move to four team leagues. Yeah. Uh, or four team divisions, I should say, not leagues. Um, and then that, you know, that would also become, you're going to have certain teams in different divisions and how to protect the rivalries. I think it's going to be really interesting. It is coming. I think we know it within yeah. at least the next 10 years. I think it's even going to happen within probably five years. At least it's going to be announced on what's going to be happening. Um, but it, it's it's going to be exciting to see here in the future. We've seen what hockey's done it recently with two teams, yeah. and both those teams have had tremendous success right away. About- I mean, what Las Vegas went out and won the title in their first or second year. I think they were runner up, but they went to the final. And or, I mean, I've been yeah. watching. I've been watching the NHL playoffs a little bit. And the, the Kraken are in it, the Seattle yeah. team, and their mm-hmm. their crowds are awesome. So yeah, I think, yeah, the, it, I think it, the Golden Knights are in it too. I think it's both. Both. Yeah, they are. they are. They are. Yeah. yeah. No, but like the Golden Knights were like their first or second year they went to the finals. I think it was the mm-hmm. first year, but. Um, that that will be a lot harder for baseball. Yeah, the Rockies be. haven't made it, and the the Diamondbacks won. Well, I guess it's not because the Diamondbacks Marlins, won pretty Marlins. quick. The Marlins won you like year four. Yeah, yeah. The Marlins, and the Marlins, and the yeah. It's so. I think there's a clear reason that Colorado hasn't won. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it, it is going to be interesting, and especially even over the last week or so, we've even seen a little bit more rumblings about Orlando pushing. Uh, for a team so i wonder if maybe that would be another spot if the rays are going to end up having to move if orlando's willing to give a stadium 
Um, maybe you move there and that's another kind of market and gets them out of the Tampa Bay, St. Pete area. So I don't, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it's going to be really interesting to see where it gets these teams. Cause I feel like you're going to have to kind of balance where you put them. I don't think both East coast teams are, it's going to be kind of all over the place. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun talk that we're going to have here in the next few years. Yeah, about sure. that. I've got sure. a question for you, uh, commissioner Matt for this change. Yeah. Are you realigning the divisions? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I really would like a division where the Braves play the Marlins, Rays, and uh, the Nashville team every year. So I think I'm going to do that. Like a full South team there, so yeah. the Braves aren't traveling up to New York all the yeah. time. The Braves don't have to play the Phillies and the Mets. and the. Oh, I, I like that idea. Now, yeah, the real hard-hitting question. Good. The real hard-hitting question out of all of this. You're going to bring realignment, but now you already have East, Central, and west. So, what are you calling the fourth division? Maybe, maybe south. I mean, that's. I think that's kind of what the pro or the NFL has. It's like east, west, south, and I guess north. north. I guess central would kind of be north because I think both. Uh, I think both. Um, uh, I think both both leagues, American and National League, the central teams are basically all in the north. So, I mean, like I think the further south one might be St. Louis. Would you do right. like Midwest? Yeah, that'd be cool. You would, you would have – were you keeping American and, and National League with two divisions or are you just doing four bigger divisions with like eight teams in each? I think I you would do – ALNL. You would have – I think you would – you would might have to realign a couple of teams like switch back and forth, like switch – maybe like if you had to do that South division, you could have the Braves, Marlins, Nashville, and then the Rays would have to go to the NL or something. But like yeah. you would try to keep it as close – as much as you can. Like, I mean, it's just kind of, you know – like you would have, I guess, like the the Mets, Pirates, uh, Phillies, and Nationals would be one, like the East, I guess, and then – you know, you would still kind of try to keep the alignment as it is, but you just add extra divisions. You'd have like four, eight, four team divisions. So, yeah. and then you would go back to, I guess, back, go back to two wild cards. So yeah. you would have, you still have your 12, winners. right. You still have your 12 team playoffs and you'd have four division winners and two wild cards in each league. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's probably what we're going to be seeing here soon. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, but for my uh, my second rule change, I went with uh, standardized start times for wherever the home team or local time of the game. Like right now, it's so hit or miss. Um, you know, sometimes like the Dodgers start at seven ten, and the Angels start at six thirty eight, and the Mariners are starting at six forty, and it's it's all over the place. Like I think we should have a standardized like, hey, every game starts at. 6 30 local time on on you know your weeknights and friday saturday night games and then getaway days should be at like 12 local time um you know your sunday games are 12 or 1 local time outside of your sunday night baseball game um but i just think it's it's idiotic that we have games that start at 638 and then 640 and then sometimes 650 or 7 or 710 like you never know exactly and they're all in the same it's all like california or west coast or it it's so stupid that we don't have centralized or standardized start times for wherever the local team is playing like it would so be so much easier and that kind of goes back into growing the game as well like if people don't know when the game's supposed to start it's hard like you know the NFL you're going to have games start at 10 and 1 well if you're on the West coast, but you get what I'm saying there. Like, you know, the start times are that those times you don't have to look like, Hey, what time's the game on tonight or today? You just know when it is. So I think that's one thing that could really help with the, uh, with help growing the game a little bit is just having your start times the same for every local game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, to add to it, um, let's stop the 1130 AM eastern peacock game <laughs> like if you're gonna force us to have to do the peacock game at least make it like a you know one eastern or two eastern sunday game instead of 11 38 i mean i you know it was annoying for me with it being at 10 30 my time but I, I can't imagine when the dodgers are on there damien and you're having to get up at 8 30 to watch the sunday morning game it's stupid they need to quit doing that see to me i i don't mind that like i roll out of out of bed and it's like, okay, baseball's on. And then I get to watch that game. And then we roll right into the other games. Like 
but I, I understand what you're saying there in that that kind of goes along the lines like if you're going to have that special game even like let's put it to a time that's not 8:30 in the morning or whatever yeah. local time hey, and hey and hey one one other thing let's have day games like every day like one yeah. at least like, you i like having one, one day game well, you then know that kind of takes away standardized start times Matt. but but we could still have the we could still have There's the a like day if start it's a, date. Yeah. i was going to say you you're going to have your getaway games anyways you could have it at that standardized time but you know, I think we need that. to have them at one twenty, and then like probably a four thirty game, and then seven, and then it just needs to be. I think one I think those, a right? one o'clock local time. Are you saying one twenty? Because that's usually when the Cubs. That's the start. Cubs one, yeah. Mm-hmm. One o'clock local time. Yeah, well, exactly, but I think everyone else should also do that. It's a good time. I don't, because most of us are at work, and you can't watch the freaking games. Put it on the radio. Oh, right. No, wait. That goes back to the blackouts thing. You need to be a, have it nice and easy to, to listen to the radio, right? Give me an MLB radio app. No, because most radio broadcasters are awful that are in baseball. I want to watch the broadcast. My Cubs radio broadcast is way better than the, the TV broadcast. But. Sounds like a personal problem. Anyways, what is your last uh, kind of out there now rule change? Yeah, let's do a crazy one. Uh, you know, with the the – a, a catcher can drop strike three and a batter can take first base, right? Well, why, right, <laughs> is basically the, the issue. Why why does that matter? If it's, cause if runners are on base and you drop strike three, then that, you know, doesn't matter, right? The batter's just out. So at that point, it becomes kind of a pointless rule unless – it, on any wild pitch, a batter can run to first base. So my rule change is that batters can steal first. Now, this is getting done in, I think, the Atlantic League as a rule. And I don't think it's particularly invasive because these types of plays only happen every so often, right? But it'll, it increases that ability for a guy like Billy Hamilton, for example, who really can't hit. But every now and again, he'll have a chance to just take first base based on his speed alone. And it'll increase the need for a good blocking catcher. It'll increase the need for a catcher with a good arm, right? It'll increase value in the catching market as well as, you know, the speed market. And and already we're working on having a, a stronger speed market with the, the, the pitch clock, the stolen bases, the engagements, and we're seeing an increase in steals. It'll be very interesting to see if, if a rule like this could be implemented to also help increase the need and the desire for for pro speed players. So uh, this is my my little rule change here to not change the game too much, but hopefully just provide a little bit of a an extra incentive to 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 not throw those careless strikes in the batter's box at risk of uh, you know losing first base to a speedy guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I think all three of our rules here aren't ones that I would just love to have in the game, but they're all interesting, and I do like the idea of that one. Is in just increasing the catcher, you know, the catcher's value, and the fact that like it is kind of goofy sometimes. You're watching a game, and you know, the catcher doesn't even attempt to block the ball when there's nobody on base. Like he just kind of lets it go flying by. Like it looks kind of goofy. So. I guess in one some ways that that could be a nice thing too, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how like how often that it would come into play. I I, I wonder how. I know of course the Atlantic League's so weird, but I wonder how it would how often that would actually come into play. It'd be interesting to see. Absolutely, I think it'd be really interesting as well, um, especially if it's on any of the pitches and this is like any pitch at any time they can take it. Like it's gonna. I would really really finicky and interesting and make it really weird. So I like that we put it in uh, in this spot. But uh, Matt, what's your out there rule change? Yeah, mine's basically, you know, when we took away the DH or when we enter, in, inserted, excuse me, the DH into the National League, we took away a lot of strategy out of the game. So my idea was that you basically tie your DH to the pitcher. So like when the pitcher leaves, you, you lose your DH. And uh, I kind of liked the idea just because it incentivizes a lot of the issue we've had with uh, starting pitching has been that like pitchers are getting pulled really early, like fifth, fourth, fifth inning all the time. 
you know, you don't want to see the lineup a third time, even if their pitch counts are pretty low. And I think that in some ways it incentivizes you to leave your pitcher in the game unless he's like not able to continue because of, you know, how, how long he's been, uh, how long, how many pitches he's thrown. And it just, I think it adds a little bit of strategy as in like, you know, late games, how you manage it, how you kind of funnel through like your bench and adds, you know, adds value to bench players too. Uh, maybe you might even add a roster spot if you do this or something. But I thought it was kind of an interesting idea. It was something that had been brought up by a lot of people back when they entered, inserted the DH because they were worried, and, and I kind of agreed with it that you know, you're just going to lose a little bit of that strategy when you do that, even though we'd much rather see a DH hit than a pitcher hit. Um, I think that uh, it would be kind of an interesting way to kind of bring back a little bit of that strategy. But uh, I don't think it will happen, but I thought it was just kind of an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, I love this role. I, I was an advocate for this role over a year ago, at least before the DH was even brought together. I, I just think it's the, the perfect way to balance out the DH being full time and uh, with all teams and, um, you know, like the old way of playing with the pitcher hitting. Right. You know, it also kind of removes that opener which is the big, the big one that I like. The, I hate the opener. I hate that teams are just starting out with a relief pitcher for absolutely no consequences other than, you know, now they just have to use more of their bullpen. Uh, and with teams with a really deep bullpen and with pitchers that can run, you know, three, four, five innings out of the bullpen, it's much less impactful. Um, and the starting pitcher role is maybe one of the coolest roles in, in baseball at this point and, and how it's always been. And, Losing out on that is just not, it's not good for baseball, I don't think. I mean, think about all the iconic, you know, starting pitchers and, you know, we're trying to get them to be able to throw longer and, you know, it's just, this, this is the type of rule that could actually do that. So I actually think this rule is maybe not so outlandish, I guess is my kind of final point there. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it'd be interesting to see how it would be implemented like throughout and how much teams would actually vary. Cause I'm not sure that it would vary much about keeping a pitcher out there any longer. I think it would just make sure that your depth on your team is a lot better. So you could just pinch hit at the, the time more often. Um, I don't think it would actually bring the effect of, uh, you know, making sure that pitchers go longer. I think the only thing is maybe the opener role, but even then it's like, I don't the opening role opener role doesn't bother me when you have a guy like what what's the difference between a starting pitcher starting going five innings and then using the relievers the rest of the way and then using an, a guy to start the game for the first inning and then a guy coming out and pitching five innings and then using the bullpen from the seventh eighth and ninth like there's really no difference there it's just you're yeah. flipping the, the the bullpen arm to be at the beginning it would stop that but I don't know it would actually stop the 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 long term of the starting pitcher thing, but it, it is interesting. Like if you have a guy like you know, you know, a notorious DH like David Ortiz, like if you're saying that hey, once our starter's out, you're pulled from the game and you can't play anymore, and that's in the fifth inning, like it's a pretty big deal. It would, it would cause yeah. maybe maybe David Ortiz doesn't start every or, game at the time or or something, you know, or he's yeah. forced to play first base. Yeah, I was gonna say. Maybe. Force force them to have some defensive value to kind of got to stay in the lineup. Yeah, I think when we loved the DH, so that uh, the players who were bad, super bad defensively, we could still play. And now we're saying, nope, nope. Now you got to have the defensive uh, caliber to play again. I don't. It just seems weird, but at the same time, I completely understand it. It's been the idea, and it's it would be interesting to see how it would be implemented at the end of the day. My my one thought on the defensive value thing, though, is they still do get two plus at bats and you could also make a, make some kind of contingency that if the starting pitcher exits the game before the fifth inning, for example, that the, the DH can stay in the spot until a certain time period in the game, you know, something to that effect where, you know, if your starter just absolutely stinks, you don't want to just keep throwing them out there. So your DH can keep hitting, you know, that's maybe the one bot the bad part about the rule. Or maybe if it's like, if your starting pitcher gets past five innings, then you can keep the DH the entire game. 
or especially with injury. Like if your starting pitcher gets pulled for injury, you keep the the DH just tied to the next guy or something. Like cause that that's one thing that I would worry about is if like your pitcher is kind of banged up, but he doesn't want to get pulled because he wants that DH to lead off the next inning, you know, and he makes it worse or something. Like so, I, I could see that too. But yeah. Anyways, for my last kind of out there rule change, it's that. Uh, teams can then switch any batter in the lineup one time. So we know that usually in the biggest moments of other sports, you know, when it usually comes down to it at the end of the game in basketball, you know, LeBron James or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or Giannis, they're going to have the ball in their hands, taking the shot in football. If the chiefs are on offense, Patrick Mahomes is going to have the ball in his hands. Josh Allen's going to have the ball in his hands. Like, the, the most talented player are going to have the ability at the end of the game to impact it at the biggest moments in baseball. We're not always guaranteed that. So what if in the bottom of the ninth inning or the top of the ninth inning or somewhere you have a situation where you can either win the game or let's say it's in the seventh inning and you're down one run, but you have bases loaded and two outs and say you're the angels. Mike Trout's not up for, you know, five more batters, you know that you're not going to get to his spot in this inning where the biggest moment is. What if you could take Mike Trout and put him at the plate for that one at bat, and then he stays in that spot for the rest of the game. So where if he doesn't get it done again, or if he, you know, if that, it doesn't happen there, it's even longer until he gets his opportunity again, or, you know, he has to face through the whole lineup again to get that opportunity, but it would allow teams to in the biggest moments put their one star or their most most clutch guy that they want at bat at the moment out there you know we have closers that usually come in at the end of the game why not be able to have your best hitter out there at the biggest moments in each game yeah i think that's interesting um it's definitely unique i haven't heard that idea before i think it's you know, it's a good thought. I I don't love the I, w- one thing that I like about you know not having that is that sometimes you get like a you get either a super random player that's always extremely clutch. Like I heard a stat earlier that um, Alex Verdugo had as many walk offs in his career as Derek Jeter, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of funny. And the fact that like sometimes like Delman Young in the playoffs. I don't know if you remember how like freaking insane he was in clutch moments in the playoffs. Like just, I think that some of those things are, you know, uh, I like, but at the same time, like the, from a marketing aspect, you look at like your star players, the one that's going to make the big play and you can market that really well. It's like, I, I get it. It's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't totally hate it. I, I think it's, it's definitely an, an interesting idea, but I guess that's kind of why we're doing these like wacky ideas. They're probably not going to happen, but they're interesting. <laughs> I like yeah. this idea and it's wackiness, yeah. right? Um, in that I do not like the, the changing of, of the lineup in this way, but it, at its core, this is a good idea, right? This is the perfect way to, you know, provide a very good, you know, marketable moments for your stars right i mean i'm thinking back to the world baseball classic with with otani and trout and that just being the biggest moment of the whole tournament and you know how it just kind of boiled down to the best pitcher versus the best hitter but if we you know if you're going to any normal baseball game or any regular season game or any world series game they don't always boil down to that. Right. And, and so it's kind of the beautiful thing about baseball is that anybody can have a big moment mm-hmm. and you're losing that to some degree, to some degree, because obviously you can only do it once. And it's, you know, the kind of thing you just deploy in the effort to try to win the game in the big moment. But, you know, I do, I would say it's, it, it's got, it's, it's got its merits for sure, because you do want to have Mike Trout in those more advantageous spots. You're going to, run into guys maybe you know the guys who automatically get jumped there like trout like otani you know tatis they're going to end up with a lot more rbi i would say in in the big spots so you might run into like rbi rule rbi like not rules but uh records mm-hmm. you know they, they might go after those rbi records with kind of these kinds of changes i like it it's wacky it's not it's probably not even as wacky as the, the runner on second in the in extra innings rule and and that's one we've been running with for a while, but it's still 
it's it's just it, it bites at me a little bit to where I would push against it. But if they implemented it, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like you know sometimes you just end up with say a Suzuki coming up in a one run game with the bases loaded. It just happens. So yeah, and then they could just pinch it and use Nick Madrigal there instead. Madrigal is like two for two today or something like that. He's doing really good. Um, no, but and I see. Sorry, David. Um, if he could out, if he did get out, oh um, man. You know, I was in my thing and updated yet. I like the uh, the ability to have it, and then the the kind of the drawback against is like I said, if if Trout isn't able to get it done there, and he says with like the lineup changing aspect of it, like then you're forced to have I don't know. Who's who's like an eight hole hitter for them right now? Um, Luis Renjifo. Luis Renjifo would then be your two hole hitter or three hole hitter for the rest of the game if it, if you used it in the seventh inning um, or, or something. But I, I do see what the uh, you know the drawback of like hey with the records being thing. But I just think from the marketing standpoint of it, like you you mentioned the Otani and Trout at bat, and that was it was beautiful because it happened organically, but like you can have that ability to have those moments every game, multiple or not every, every night, basically multiple times a night in these one run games. Like it would change the whole aspect of one run games and, and everything in baseball. It'd be, I think it'd be kind of cool, yeah. but it's kind of why it's out there. Uh, but that is our three rule changes as each of us, our commissioners. So with our nine rule changes, do you guys think we've made the, the game better here? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Better than Rob Manfrot ever. <laughs> could. Not with all of them, but uh, definitely yeah. with a few of them. So like it's a yes or no question. That's all. We're so doing. yeah. It, We're just going to say yes. Think. We're just going to mm-hmm. say yes. Yeah, I think so. All right. So um, before we uh, go ahead and wrap it up, we did have some injury news this week and a couple big ones. Um, so first and foremost, we had Max Freed. Uh, he had, I think he left to start early. Matt, you'll be able to kind of go into it a little bit more, uh, when we get to it, but, uh, and then he was skipped, I believe, and basically came out today. He has a forearm strain. It's going to be put on the IL. Doesn't seem like the fear of Tommy John surgery is there, but it does seem like it's going to be a longer term issue. Yeah. So he didn't get pulled from his last start. It was okay. just actually weird because like over the weekend, like nobody knew there was any issue. And then they, the Braves ended up announcing, you know, today he was supposed to start Wednesday and they put it on their calendars like TBD after it had said freed previously. And everyone's like, what's going on? And they kind of were non, you know, didn't really, they asked in the press conference and they just said, we're working through things and we'll find out later. And everyone's like, uh, what's going on? And then today, this morning, you know, it got announced forearm strain and everyone panicked because that's almost always like, or not almost always, but a lot of times that's Tommy John. And then they said they kind of came back later in, in the press conferences and stuff. And, and they said that it wasn't Tommy John surgery. The UCL wasn't, was totally fine that it, after imaging and uh, that, you know, they're just going to have to shut him down. And basically I, I'm assuming he'll probably be shut down for about a month. And then they said, he's going to pretty much need an entire like spring training buildup level level buildup again so uh, the timetable that sounds like it's probably like early july for him so he'll miss you know roughly two months uh which kind of sucks um the braves are already missing kyle wright which you know is not optimal even though he wasn't really pitching all that great you know this year so far and uh you know they're gonna have to rely on some young guys um they're gonna have to they're gonna either end up with dodd or schuster in the rotation for you know, the next two months. And then I think that you're probably going to see Mike Soroka pretty soon, which could kind of be the silver lining in this. It'll be great to see him get back to the big league level. He's been pitching in triple a and consistently going out there and doing his thing every, you know, every five days. So, or every six days. So he's, you know, um, he's, you know, I'll be, I'll be so thrilled to see him come back, you know, if, if, if that ends up coming, coming true soon, but uh, hate it for Max Freed. Hopefully it's something that doesn't linger after, you know, the Braves have put themselves in a position where two months or, you know, they could probably weather the storm, but hopefully it's not something that lingers and, you know, affects them down the stretch and in, in the potentially into the postseason. So, um, but uh, hopefully he gets well soon. Got anything on it, David? Nope. <laughs> injuries right. are, injuries are frustrating at this point, but uh, we'll see if you know, any of these guys can get back 
Yeah, maybe not. Obviously not Luis Garcia. We'll see if the Astros can kind of buoy that. They are, I think, still below 500 as of right now. They are, and their game hasn't started yet. So, yeah, still below 500 as of the recording of this podcast, and that is not the start that we kind of expected them to be at. Yeah, not at all. And then that, now that ro- that rotation, um, you know, the question marks about it get to another level with Luis Garcia now being out for the year, going to have Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, they were already going to talk about limiting Hunter Brown at some point this year. Um, he's looked shaky, I think, two of his last three starts. Uh, you know, so you're really going to need Christian Javier and Fran Valdez and Lance McCullers to get back healthy because um, the, they didn't really sign much depth there in the starting rotation. So they're going to have a lot of question marks. Not not that they would have been okay if they had Verlander. He's been he's been out the whole season too. So true. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned just that cursed by the Mets curse though. That's true. The Mets curse is real. Max Scherzer got scratched tonight. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you look at the Astros too, and like y'all talked about, the rotation is so thin. I mean, you're about to rely on like JP Sears coming up and stuff, and like JP France. Yeah, and uh. Forrest Whitley, like these guys are not like, you know, they're not world. I mean, I guess they could be, but they're not like, you know, when you're on a contending team, you don't want that as your like three, four, five type guys. But then their, their lineup isn't all that. I mean, they, they've got the middle, their top of their lineup is really good. They they just don't have the same depth that they've had. Like they've got, du, you know, Altuve still out. They got Dubon playing second base. Bregman's playing bad. Abreu has been horrible. Like you look at like, you know, and then you got Jake Myers in there, Martin Maldonado. They refused to take out of the lineup ever. Like you got Jordan and Tucker and I guess Pena, but like Jordan and Tucker are really the only two guys that just truly scare you in that lineup too. So I don't know. The Astros, they're not super impressive. And I mean, with the way that the, the Rangers are playing and the way that the angels are playing to a certain extent, like you, you know, that's not going to be super easy to come back and win that division for them this year. And I yeah, trust the Mariners to get going too. Yeah, yeah. The uh, they should be getting Michael Brantley back uh, relatively yeah. soon as well. They need they need him uh, back. So and and I think Altuve is getting ready to start hitting or getting ready to start a rehab assignment. I believe I've seen. Yeah. Um. So he's probably not all that far away, but they they need that in the lineup, especially if they have the rotation question marks that they have right now. Uh, but then the uh, last couple bits of news we had are coming from the New York Yankees. Um, Aaron Judge got activated from the IL today, so he is back. And then uh, we didn't really get to hit on it last week, but Carlos Rodon uh, was getting back to throwing and then has now been diagnosed with a chronic back issue um, that we're not even sure. They said they're not even going to put a timeline or timetable on how long he's supposed to be shut down for now um, or out. So that's not a great thing for their biggest free agent signing right there to kind of be the formidable top of that rotation there in New York. Yeah, that's not fan that's not great for them. I mean, Carlos Rodon's a guy where we said going in, like, if this guy is healthy, like this is gonna be a very good signing if he's healthy. But that's been his issue for a while and it looks like that's gonna be his issue going forward. Um you know, and I, I, hopefully the chronic back issue, you never know what that fully means. Like, I think Clayton Kershaw's got a chronic back issue, but he's yeah. still, like, pitching 150-ish innings. He just has a couple of weeks a year where he has to go in the IL for a little while and take some time off, but he's able to come back every time. Like, okay. is it going to be that kind of chronic back issue, or is it going to be something really, you know, that's going to... Like, Trout was diagnosed with one last year, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's just... Is it going to be one of those things, or is it going to be one of those things where it's like he's basically going to have to turn into a reliever or something? Like it, it'll be interesting to see and wish him the best. He's a good story after being gone through what he went through and then turning into a true ace. And you know, it sucks to see him get have this issue. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm frustrated for Rodon, but I am also then thankful that my my team isn't yeah. dealing with this at this point. That that being said, not that they got anything better talon's been kind of terrible but it, it you know it's one of those things where rodon hasn't pitched at all right yeah. and and that's that's the kind of the straw you're worried about like a strasburg type of yeah. of deal here at this point yeah. you know hopefully he gets on the field at all um so that that's that's what we're hoping for at this point 
Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and jump over to uh, players of the week and then go ahead and wrap the show up. So, David, who do you got for your player this week? Yeah, I went with uh, Lourdes Gurriel from the Diamondbacks. And I think actually we got a couple of Diamondbacks this week. Diamondbacks offense has been kind of going nuts. But uh, Gurriel hit four home runs this week, 30% walk rate on the week, uh, a 571 batting average, 700 on base percentage, a 1429 slug. 413 WRC plus I just a monster week for Lourdes Gurriel. Um, and he's the kind of streaky bat that you expect to have a week or two like this in, in any given year. Right. I mean, uh, but the fact that he's, he's showing that patience too, and then hammering those mistakes when they come into the zone, uh, it's just really awesome. And yeah, I love Lourdes Gurriel. I liked him for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who the, the diamondbacks picking him up was kind of eye opening because he's, He's got that ability to carry carry for a week here like he is this week. And uh, I think, you know, this Diamondbacks offense is kind of clearly showing that it's capable of getting to the playoffs based on having guys like him and, and your your guy here, uh, uh, Matt. So, you know, I, I this is big for the Diamondbacks having, having, you know, having multiple players of the week, guys who are just absolutely hammering the ball. Uh, big picture you know, it's important for them. And, you know, they're five teams over 500 right now. They're having a really, really good start to the year. It's interesting. You said about Lotus Gurriel, cause I didn't even realize it until you had said the acquisition Dalton Varsho's fourth was, this I was, week. I was about to say, I just noticed that too. <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's literally right there. Like 0.01 war uh, nope. behind the tr- Gurriel. So the, the true win-win trade. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's just crazy. And I mean, of course, now the win-win trade. But Gabriel Moreno has also been a starting catcher. So yeah, and he's too, he's but. he's all he also hit three seventy five this week. Just in case you were wondering, it's been a a hell of a week for that trade. Yeah, for real. But uh, yeah, I get that one in the Pablo Lopez slash Luis Arias trade. Both of those trades have been really really good, beneficial for both teams so far. But unlike um, the Sean Murphy one. <laughs> hey, Esther Ruiz stole six bases, he, six bases this week. Did you he, see his center field play that he had in uh, Cincinnati or Kansas City over the weekend? I think I remember that there was a play. I don't remember he, what it was. He had a good play. A good no, play. no, there was a bad one. Oh. I, I, thought, I thought I remember I, there I've being seen a diving catch. Yeah, I thought no, I remember no, there, there was, being a mistake. But I didn't yeah, there was, was one that was like to center field, and he like came in and like stopped and went back and like didn't know where the ball was and like dove and was like five feet from the ball and it rolled all the way to the wall. That's gonna be a yikes. It was really bad. He needs the the stealing first rule. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He really does. But um, but yeah, the guy that as David alluded to, the guy I picked was Christian Walker. Um, he hit four forty four this week. Uh, 464 on base, but a 1.074 slug, and he hit five home runs, and that's in 28 plate appearances. So, uh, great week for the first baseman from the Diamondbacks. He's been uh, he, he he's had a little bit of a slow start this year, but his numbers look fine. Uh, in fact, on the season now, he's up to a 133 WRC plus after this big week. It's gonna keep going up. His plate, his walk rate's a little bit lower than it has been, but I, you know, it's kind of early season noise still a little bit there. Uh, you know, and he, um, you know, his batting average on balls and play is up a lot, which is nice to see. Cause that's kind of been the thing holding that held him back last year. So, uh, definitely a good player. Definitely like a surefire gold glove caliber first baseman too. He might be the best defensive first baseman in the game. So, um, you know, very good, uh, very good player. And Christian Walker had a great week and, uh, you know, I want to shout him out, and, and as we mentioned, the Diamondbacks off to a good start. And with some of the NL East teams struggling, like the Mets and Phillies, there might be that extra playoff spot kind of open that we were kind of thinking the Mets and Phillies might run away with. Whereas, like you know, you're probably going to have the Dodgers and Padres are going to probably make it, but you know, there's going to be that extra team, whether it's the second place team in the Central or or the third place team in the West, maybe, and that could be the Diamondbacks. So. Uh, definitely a good start for them, and uh, let's see what they see if they keep it going. Yeah, it's been a really good start for them, and I know I've said it before or not, but I'll say it again. Like, if this team is like this, they will be aggressive at yep. the deadline to to make upgrades there. Um, so if they keep this up, like they could be one of the scary teams because most people thought they were only a year or two really away from competing, but they're showing it now. They can make that move to go, to push that window up. Go get that pitcher. Go get Dylan yeah. Cease. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, 
heck, you can even go get Dylan Cease and like Tim Anderson or another bat to put into that lineup. Because in whoa, whoa, whoa! What would you do with Nick Ahmed? <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say <clears throat> get get that reliever. They could, yeah. From they the White Sox? Don't the they have the worst bullpen in the majors? I'm pretty well, sure they, they do. Except for reliever. Yeah. Liam Hendricks Kendall, is coming back. Hen- Hendricks is going to be back soon. They've got Kendall Graveman. Like, you can get one of those guys. If Hendricks yeah. comes back healthy, which... Hey, he made a... Shout out to him, too. He made a rehab appearance this week for the first time. Coming off of cancer. So, uh, that's fantastic uh, to hear. I was very excited for that. But, yeah, he looked really good, too, actually. By war, the White Sox bullpen is 29th in the majors at the moment, by the way. Just, <laughs> not the uh, worst. Not the worst. Back. Oakland A's are the worst. Uh, surprising sure no one. Won't. White Sox bullpen is a 637 ERA. Yeah, but do they have a negative pitching war? Didn't yes. So. Yes, they do. Oh, do they now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Dang. Oh, that's just in relievers. I, I was just looking at relievers. Uh, oh, yeah. Let me check the all. They might, it's close because they are not good either. Uh, 0.9 pitching <laughs> pitching uh, war this maybe. season. You know who's 29th? The New uh, York Mets. Yeah, that didn't surprise me. They've been bad. They have they have been bad, and they have been missing their aces. And yeah. it's almost like betting on 40 year old players wasn't a good move. Oh, probably right. Funny, that that's entirely a tangent here, Damien. Who's your player of the week? Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of people who could seem like 40 year old players at times, uh, Anthony Rendon actually. Um. You know, his whole thing is he needs just to stay healthy, which is kind of where the 40-year-old player thing comes in. But, you know, Anthony Rendon is so damn good still, even when when uh, he's been battling the injuries the past couple years. And he kind of started off a little slow this year, uh, and he's really started to find that stroke over the last two and a half weeks. Um, you know, he batted 474 this week, a 630 on base, 632 slugging, finally hit his first homer of the season. Um and really, it's just the Angels are going to need this guy if they want any chance to be competitive this year. Uh, they need him to play at the level that he's been playing at recently, like one of the best hitters in baseball when he was when he signed there. And it just he needs to stay healthy. You're, and now that he, he's been healthy so far this season, he's finally starting to turn it on. And it's it's cool to see when Rendon is, is healthy and, and adding to that lineup with Trout and Otani there. Um, you know, and, and with Renfro, even he's been, uh, brings that added power to that lineup too, but really just, they need him to stay healthy. And he had a, finally a, a good week enough where I could pick him, uh, for a player of the week. So I went with Rendon, but, uh, I know collectively we wanted to shout out, uh, Javi Baez this week for only having a 3.2% strikeout rate. Yeah. I was, I was gonna say he's had twice Hell yeah. strikeouts, I think. Too. Yep. He's actually walked a couple times. So it's yeah. I I believe in this change too. He's he's made a stance change where yeah. he's more up. He's like more upright. Bats a little closer to the zone, and he's not doing the bat waggle before he swings. It's got him a lot more focused, and he looks a lot more comfortable at the plate right now. He has a slower leg kick up too, doesn't he? I think he's like holding it up a lot and pausing it a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, I saw somebody doing a breakdown on it. So surprised that he was willing to make those changes at the stage of his career too well yeah i'm not but it is refreshing to see him making some legitimate plate approach changes and uh some stuff that can definitely elongate his prime out a little more and kind of get him back into that you know star player caliber you know leader that he has to be for detroit to have any success going forward also let's shout out they could trade him Let's shout out Luis Robert, who's the number one player in war yeah. this week. We didn't pick him. That That's two players in the top 10 in war this week that were benched last week. That's yeah. So that, that works. Bench your players if they're not given effort. That Wilson that works, Contreras, man. Wilson Contreras about to hit 20 home runs next week. He won the game for him yesterday. He, he had a single and an RBI double. Yep. He did. Oh, man. We've really flew off the rails here at the yeah. back end of this show. <laughs> it's good but, baseball uh, talk. Yeah, it is, and it's good banter. But uh, anything else you guys want to uh, hit on before we go ahead and, and wrap it up here? Uh, the Chicago Cubs are morons for keeping Chris Morrell in Iowa. That is all. All right, Matt, what is your Braves take real quick? Uh, well, my 
Braves take is they're good still and they're winning, but I was going to make fun of the Mets for losing again to the Reds tonight. They're 17 and 19 on the season now. So that's, that's my take. I just figured we were all just going to do Homer takes here sure. at the end. I, well, the Mets losing is a Homer take. So there you go. There you go. Don't put crying Clayton Kershaw's on the fucking video board. I, that, that's not just the Homer take. That's a take that everybody except Padres fans, I think is an agreement on. And yeah. it's childish and weird. And it's they just, it's it's I'm really above this whole like the Padres trying to force this thing to be a rivalry when reeks, it's not. But. It reeks of desperation when you do that. Like it's just you know I'm all about having fun and stuff, but it just kind of reeks of desperation. Absolutely, and then they lost the next two, so it was beautiful. Anyways, this show was really flew off here at the end, but thank you guys for tuning in to episode 125 of the Batflip Podcast, and we will catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.